0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: Any church in the crossroads of its culture and its faith has to come to this conclusion that how I live my life reveals and reflects what I really, truly believe.
0: There's an old saying, actions speak louder than words. What about faith? When it comes to what we say we believe, do our actions speak louder than our words?
1: The way we treat other people, our approach to our sexuality, our language, our morality, our money, everything should be affected by our belief that there is a God.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Today we're in the latter part of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, looking at a subject that the church is often slow to speak about, sexual sin within The church. The culture in ancient Corinth was like our culture today, obsessed with sex. Now, as Pastor Clay is going to explain today, sex is not bad. In fact, sex is good, but it is also powerful. That's why God gave us parameters for our sexuality. Today's culture says those parameters are restrictive, and we should be free to indulge our sexuality any way we choose.
1: It's not about whether I can, it's whether I should. will, will what I'm going to do, will it lead to greater potential for greater sin? Will what I'm going to do lead to opportunity to shame the name of Christ? It's not about whether I can, it's about whether I should.
0: The church in Corinth seemed to see no problem with professing faith in Jesus and at the same time indulging in sexual practices outside those between a husband and wife. Paul has a serious warning for all followers of Jesus. When it comes to our sexual practices or anything else, we can believe and follow Jesus, or we can believe and follow the ways of the world, but we can't do both. Now, here's Pastor Clay with an important message for our time.
1: As we've been making our way uh, in this series called Crossroads, up to this point, there has been, uh, you know, a lot of things have been talked about, but there's been a predominant theme up to this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and that predominant theme has to do with unity within the body of Christ, the importance of the unity within the body of Christ. Obviously, that is very important. But beginning here uh, in verse 12, and if you were here last week, you know those last few verses... Uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, he's he's beginning to make a transition. He's he's moving over to a new subject. He begins to transition from the importance of unity to the importance of morality. He begins to move towards the idea of morality within the church. Unity within the church, got to have it. But morality within the church, got to have that as well. And as we'll see, Paul begins to move in that direction, beginning to talk about our sexuality uh, what what God desires and wants in, in for our sexual relationships and our sexuality and who we are. Um, divorce, uh, what does it mean to be freed from the Old Testament law, uh, things like that. These are just some of the subjects that are going to be, begin to be covered over the next couple of chapters as he's moving into the area of morality. But, what I hope that you can see or begin to see if you've been in this series or making way through this series is a is kind of a greater idea, a greater overarching uh, idea that, that Paul's letters to the Corinthians are, are intended to do. And that, that greater idea is, is this. The way we live reveals and reflects what we believe. Let me say that again. The way we live reflects and reveals or reveals and reflects what we believe. Think of it this way. An atheist, by faith, chooses to believe that God does not exist. I've said this before, but an atheist cannot prove that God does not exist, so he or she exercises their faith. They, they wouldn't think of it that way, but that's exactly what they're doing. They exercise their faith to believe that God does not exist. Because they believe that God does not exist, they also believe that there is no... There is no afterlife, there is no judgment, there is no heaven, there is no hell, because they have chosen to believe by faith that there is no God. Their belief that there is no God, uh, supported by their faith or given to them by their faith, then causes them to live their life in accordance with their belief. Because God does not exist, or they choose to believe that God does not exist, it affects the way they treat other people. It affects their, their, uh, their approach to their sexuality. It affects their, 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 their money. It affects their uh, morality. It affects virtually every subject that they would come across or would be engaged in in their life would be affected by their belief based on their faith that God does not exist. Understand what I'm saying? Therefore, they live what they believe. They don't believe God exists. They live that way. You understand what I'm saying? Well, if we believe that God does exist, if you and I believe that God does exist, if we do, then we should believe that there is an afterlife, that there is a judgment someday, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, because we believe that there is a God. And because we believe that there is a God, that should affect how we live our life, the way we treat other people, our approach to our sexuality, our language our morality our money everything should be should be affected by our belief that there is a god you understand what i'm saying to you okay that that is what i believe is the is the really the overarching idea that that every church the corinthian church cross culture church every church at the crossroads of of their culture and their faith when those two things intersect and they are constantly intersecting in our lives aren't they our culture and our faith and, and are intersecting and conflicting with each other. Any church in the crossroads of its culture and its faith has to come to this conclusion that how I live my life reveals and reflects what I really, truly believe. I have, I have known some people who would, who would become angry, maybe violently angry. See, now I went to the dump yesterday and we had to, to drop this canister off. And uh, the guys standing there, they were just kind of laughing and stuff. I rolled the window down and they, and they said, did you see them guys right in front of us? No. So he said, that guy tried to get out of the car. I guess they must have a rule, don't get out of the car. And he said, I thought, I thought it was going to come to blow. He said, that guy wanted to, wanted to fight. People will sometimes become violently angry over something. I have known some people who would become angry at the thought if, if, if they thought that someone accused them of, oh, you're, you're, you're an atheist. I've known people that would become angry at that I am not an atheist. Of course I believe in God. And yet, oftentimes they they are what I would call a practical atheist. They they may say that they believe that God exists, but they live their life as if he doesn't. You know what I'm saying to you? So this is an important, overarching idea. Now, let's talk about morality as it relates to sexuality as it relates to sexual sin i'm not going to get to the the depth of it or the today but y'all, y'all are so quiet y'all are so quiet i don't know what i'm expecting but maybe i expecting y'all to say yeah yeah sex let's talk more about sex uh where are we first corinthians chapter six i've i've lost myself first corinthians chapter six verse 12 y'all ready Text is up on the screen. Maybe you have a copy of God's Word. open. all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now, God has Not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Amen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he he says, the two shall become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2 is what he's quoting from. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Can you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we delve into this uh, subject matter, uh, it, it, I know it can be kind of uh, delicate. I, I want to I be wise, but I want to be truthful. I, I want to not be a, offensive, but, a, but I want to be truthful. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I want to be truthful. And, and so I just pray for wisdom and discernment as we discuss this uh, subject. Uh, this uh, sexual immorality was a problem for the, uh, the culture and the church in Corinth. God, it is certainly a problem for the culture in which we live in today. And so uh, each person, wherever they are, whatever's going on in our life, wherever we've been, God, if we know you as Lord and Savior, help us to receive the truth of your word and make application. Lord God, there are are people of all different age groups in this room. Each of us needs to know the reality of this and and commit it to our lives, that it's based on your truth. God, I've said throughout this series that every person has to decide for themselves where their truth comes from. If they want to get it, in the area of sexuality, if they want to get it from the world, it will be a very different message than, than if they get it from you. And so people have to decide, do I believe the culture is correct when it comes to sexuality or do I believe that God is correct? And I pray that these people would, would, commit, would commit that what you say is true and would apply it uh, to our lives. Sexual temptation is a very real thing. I know we'll get into that more next week, Lord God, but I just pray even now that you'd help us to just humble ourselves and say, all right, God, what would you say to me? I want to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Okay, let me share uh, just an idea with you uh, this morning. Uh, We'll just get to this first idea and some stuff under that, but we won't get to the other two until next week. And you just... You'll just have to wait until then. But we're going to start with this idea uh, this morning, this this important idea. An important decision must be made. Live for the flesh or live for the Lord. An important decision has to be made. Live for the flesh or live for the Lord. Uh, You notice we read just a second ago, Paul opens this new section, if you will, he opens with this this repetition, this double uh, utterance of this this phrase, all things are lawful for me. Do y'all see that in the text? All things are lawful for me. He says it twice. All things are lawful for me, da-da-da. All things are lawful for me, da-da-da. Because he repeats it like that, a lot of biblical scholars believe that this phrase, all things are lawful for me, had become a, a saying or a mantra for the church in Corinth. All things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. Now, remember the context here. uh, And really, this is a context not just for ancient Corinth. Really, it's it's a context for the world in which we live in. And that is what separates Christianity from virtually every other religion in the world is the fact that virtually every other, or I would say every other religion in the world is a works-based religion. It is, it is based on what I can do to somehow gain God's approval. It is mankind's feeble attempt to reach up to holy God or their idea of God. Christianity, on the other hand, says that I can never do anything to gain God's approval. Christianity, on the other hand, says that not only can I not reach up to God... But God reached down, in fact, God came down and paid the sin debt that I could never pay, that I could never work off, that I could never be good enough for, that I could never give enough money for, the sin debt that I could never pay for. God himself came down in the form of a man, lived a perfect life, and then willingly went to the cross, paid the sin debt that you and I could never pay for ourselves. Yeah, that's a good place to amen. And so... It, it is, in a sense, it's a very true statement to say that there is freedom in Christ. There is freedom uh, from from the, the the penalty of sin. There is there is freedom from the law, the Jewish law. And, and, and there are many believers in Corinth, no doubt, that were Jewish. Most believers in the early days, at least, were had some sort of Jewish heritage, and they were bound up in this legalized uh, Levitical law. There was freedom from from keeping the law, and, and so there, there was a sense that that's, that's a true statement. There's freedom in Christ, and that may have played into this mantra, this idea that all things are lawful for me. I'm not under the law anymore. There may be some, some truth in that statement, but the Corinthians had taken their freedom in Christ, and they had begun to misuse and abuse that freedom, particularly, as we'll see in chapters, in the latter part of chapter 6, particularly in the area of sexuality. They've begun to abuse this freedom that we have in Christ. And what Paul is wanting to help them and us understand is that uh, freedom in Christ means that there is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. You, under, you understand? Yeah. To, to, to say that I've been set free means that there's freedom from sin. There is not freedom to sin you see this is this is a good idea to to get a hold of in, in your mind it's not about whether you can but whether you should when it comes to some decision or something it's not about whether you can it's about whether you should i, I used to get that a lot when when Cindy and i did student ministry uh, a lot of times students would would say well you know, particularly in the area of sexuality well you know how far right that's good how far <laughs> can how far can i go and still be okay you understand they're asking the wrong question it's not about whether I can, it's whether I should. Will well, what I'm going to do will it lead to greater potential for greater sin? Will what I'm going to do lead to opportunity to shame the name of Christ? It's not about whether I can. It's about whether I, I should. Now add it to that, OK? So they're, the, they're, they're misusing this, this freedom in Christ. Y'all with me? Add it to that was a sort of distorted idea that they had developed. About, about the flesh, about the, the body. Now, I'll say this, that part, probably part of their misunderstanding in this had to do with some, some Greek philosophical ideas that had probably hard, some baggage that was kind of hard to, to let go of as they came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's probably some Greek philosophical influences there. But basically, the Corinthians had come to the, this understanding that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what i do with this when 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 god saved us when god redeemed us he re, he redeemed our spirit so so it doesn't what it doesn't doesn't really matter what i do with this because this is passing away what does he say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food but god will do away with both of them many scholars believe that that also was a mantra that the church in corinth had adopted and paul's playing off of that Hey, food is for the stomach, so is for food, but, but God's going to do away with both of them. Basically, what they're saying is, it don't matter. It doesn't matter what I do with this. Good, bad, indifferent, because all this is passing away, right? And so Paul says in verse 14, that's why you've got all of a sudden this, this introduction of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, Paul says in verse 14, hey folks, and listen, this is a good word for all of us, when God redeemed us, God redeemed every bit of us. Every bit of us. Yes, yes, this, this body is still under the sin curse. <laughs> and don't we know it every year as we get older and older? This body is still under the sin curse. Yes, someday we will, as Paul says later in Corinth, we will, in this letter to the Corinth, that we will lay this earthly tent aside. But what does Paul say there in verse 14? God is going to resurrect your body. Your body. Uh, yes, it's going to go through some type of supernatural change that I don't even want to begin to try and understand. I'll leave that up to God. But your body's going to go through some kind of supernatural change, but God is going to resurrect your physical body. The implication then is that your physical body here and now has value to God and should be used for His honor and for His glory and not for the, for the fulfillment of my fleshly desires. It should be used for that. You see, you, you've got you've to you make this decision. I can live for my flesh, or I can live for the Lord. I can't do both. Some of y'all heard me tell this story. I know I've said it at least a couple times before, but it's so perfect for this situation. I, I just can't help myself. I was, I was uh, sharing the gospel one time with this guy named Freddie. And Freddie wanted to hear he was interested. He wanted to hear the gospel. He wanted to hear the good news of Jesus. And and so I, I shared with Freddie our problem. I, I I said, Freddie, the problem is that you and I are sinners. We've all said and done things that violates God's law. That means we've we've broken covenant with God. That means that we are separated from God, Freddie. And Freddie, it gets worse. Not only are we are we broken and separated from God, but Freddie, there's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to mend that that separation. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's approval or to or to gain forgiveness for our sins. Where there is absolutely nothing that we can do about it. And Freddie, because of our sin, we deserve hell. Eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. Because we've we've turned away from God. That was the problem. And then I shared with Freddie God's solution. I said, Freddie, but here's the thing. God loved us so much that God came down to this earth. He took on human flesh. He became a man, and he lived a sinless life. And then when the time was right, at at the appropriate time, as he had determined, he voluntarily laid down that life on the cross and died as a substitutionary atonement for your sin and my sin, Freddie. He died for us so that we might be forgiven. What we could not accomplish, God accomplished for us, Freddie. And then I told Freddie how we can receive this forgiveness. I said, Freddie, we, we receive God's forgiveness by choosing, by faith, to repent, to turn away from our sins, and to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Him and Him alone, to, to, to surrender our lives to Him and to make Him the Lord of our life, as, as, even as we're making Him our Savior. He has come to redeem us. And then I said this, I said, Freddie you understand everything I've said? Yeah, that makes sense. I said, Freddie, is there any reason why you would not want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today, right now? I'm sitting in his living room. I said this to him. And I can't remember uh, exactly how it went. but, But when I said that question, I said, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right here, right now? And he said, yeah. And I can't remember if I asked, well, what is it? Or whether he just said it. He said, yeah, yeah, there's a reason I wouldn't want to receive Christ as my Savior. And here's what he said. He said, because I like getting drunk and chasing women. Now, bless Freddie's heart, he's not even a believer, right? And yet he got it. He understood that you can't live for your flesh and live for the Lord. You can't, you can't do both. You just can't, you can't do it. And so a decision has to be made. All this is setting up sexual immorality, where we're going all this. But a decision has to be made. Am I living for the Lord or am I living for myself, for my, for my flesh? Look at it, uh, Romans 2. Uh, chapter 8, I think it is. Yeah, Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh, now this is a, you know, this makes sense. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Right? And you and I know that, right? I I can think of plenty of times in my life where where my my mind was set on some fleshly desire. Y'all don't have to admit that that happens to y'all, but those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires the mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God it does not submit to God's law nor can it do so but those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God here's another one uh, Romans chapter 13 let us behave properly as in the day most like a reference to the day of the return of the Lord. Everybody will want to do, will want to live right the day Jesus comes back. i just go ahead and say that. Suspect it. Let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and in jealousy. All of that is part of the flesh, right? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its Lust. In other words, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm putting on Christ, then, then I'm not making opportunity for the flesh to have its way with me. You understand what he's saying? Does that make sense? You understand? You with me? Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life all of this setting all this up to say that that a very important decision has to be made and you could probably guess this but it's a decision that has to be made continually in my life am i going to live for my flesh for my or am i going to live uh, for the lord you, you you can't you can't do both now that doesn't mean okay relax that doesn't mean that you and i can never enjoy anything in this world we can never enjoy our life we can never it doesn't mean that we cannot enjoy some of the some of the pleasurable things of of this world and of this creation it doesn't mean that we become like the ancient monks and live on bread and water and lock ourselves away from everybody else it doesn't mean that we that we as some people do literally inflict pain beat beat their own bodies to show that it's not mastering them It doesn't mean that there's no place for any enjoyment in life at all because, oh, I'm I'm, I'm indulging the flesh. If I do that, I'm indulging the flesh. That's not what he's saying. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to enjoy his creation and the gifts that he gives to us as part of that. God gave us tree sap that can be made into maple syrup. (laughs) God gave us popcorn that can be, corn that can be popped into something covered in butter and salt. God gave us a bean that could be brewed into black deliciousness. Do <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So listen, go to Disney World, eat a piece of strawberry rhubarb pie, make love to your spouse, maybe not in that order, but, but, but <laughs> in, enjoy God's creation and the gifts that he gives to us within the parameters of, that he gives them to us. Because like any parent, he draws lines, he makes fences, he puts up barriers that would prevent his children from moving into areas that would be destructive for them, just like you do if you have children. So, this is not, I'm not saying when I say, live for the Lord or live for the flesh, can't do both. I'm not saying that, that, that just lock yourself away and, and uh, oh my goodness, I started thinking about a Snickers bar. Forgive me, Lord, I'm sorry. I, no, no, that's not what he's saying. The parameters that God gives to us, that we that we make a determination. You know what? Man, I, I'm so glad that God gave us this or that, that, that we have this to enjoy in life or that I can experience this. I'm so glad. I certainly want to do it within the parameters that God gave them to me. And that includes sexuality. We'll get more into that next week. But here's what I'm saying to you. An important decision has to be made. I can live for the flesh or I can live for the Lord. I can't live for both.
0: Thanks, Pastor, for that important message from 1 Corinthians 6, and for those practical personal practices that we can all put to work for us. As Pastor Clay said today, knowing Jesus as your Savior doesn't mean that you don't know sexual desire. As we're going to see in chapter 7, God gave us sexual desires for a healthy, productive marriage. Sexual desire isn't less because we know Jesus, but sexual discipline should be more. As followers of Jesus, we have to, as the Apostle Paul said, make a determination that we're going to glorify God in our body. If we will do that and put practices into place that help us not yield to sexual sin, God promises to meet us in our needs and reward us for choosing to honor Him instead of pleasing ourselves. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God.
1: My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety.
0: Many people, at some point in their life, feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible, and what their lives look like on a daily basis.
1: What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores.
0: I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com, and ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore.
1: You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I get it from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get.
0: Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church.
1: I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know
0: Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.